0: Welcome to Two Therapist Tales, a podcast where Jacqueline Sabodi and Anna Zonin work to normalize conversations about mental health.
1: Welcome back to Two Therapist Tales. I'm Jacqueline Sabodi, And I'm Anna Zonin. And joining us today is Sarah Velez. Sarah is a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in mental health Addiction and couples counseling. Sarah is certified in Gottman therapy and loves to treat couples. We are so excited to have her join this month as February is the month of love. Welcome, Sarah. Sarah. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great time to get together. I love this month. Yeah, me too. Let's start off just by talking about what does love mean and how does it impact our relationship? with our clients, with our families, our animals, our friends, people in our community? Great. Yeah.
0: Um, I, you know, love can be, right, so many different things. And I think, you know, in the work that I do, it's such a a strong foundation that keeps people coming back to each other. I think, you know, through couples therapy, it's really creating like this safe space, safe haven, the safe space for couples and love you know i i i love when couples kind of come in and they're like thinking that their relationship's like the worst thing ever and i can see through their body language or kind of things that i you know i'm sure as as therapists you guys too kind of read people and it's like i can see love there even if sometimes they don't see it and what does that mean necessarily it can mean you know just like Respect and friendship, security, safety, um, you know, just like in as simple as body language turning towards each other as opposed to turning away. So yeah, I think love. You know, I love how you brought up animals and friends and all these different ways that love can kind of, you know, surround us and that sometimes we don't even realize it's it's as powerful or as impactful in our lives. But it's it's kind of like the thread that keeps us all moving along.
1: Um, I love that, and it, it's it is so true. Like body language says a lot, and um, I love that you can kind of remind clients. Like you may think that things are really ugly, but your body language says otherwise. And I yeah. use, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I guess that leads to the next kind of talking point of you know, do you think what do all emotions have a body component, and what does that sensation of love feel like? Maybe we can all kind of talk about what. You know, when we feel love or when we feel loved, uh, what does that feel like for us in our bodies? How do we know that that's a thing? <laughs>
0: hmm. I like that. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the, the um, with the Gottman, there's a lot, the Gottman method or the Gottman training, a lot of it is is physiological. And one of the first activities I have clients do is put a pulse oximeter on their fingers and this measures their um, heart rate. And so when you know, and I do that because and then I have them fight and I have them do that to show me what they're really you know what their fights can look like, but also to show them how stress can impact our communication and our feelings of connection with each other. And then I also I have them just put it on kind of randomly throughout our sessions. but you know and I'll say like, look how you know your your heart rate is regulated right now. It's lowered. you're not showing a lot of signs of stress. We do a lot of self self-soothing techniques that I do in the office. And then I have them kind of do homework assignments at home to learn, to regulate that, you know, their stress levels, their anxiety. Um, Because when we're in that heightened stress state, we're not as likely to connect. We're in more of that like fight or flight, Um, you know, and that's where couples get when they're screaming and they're stressed out and they're, you know, all over. So I think just being mindful of the self-soothing and really, you know, like when we feel love, we're not, our heart rates aren't elevated, you know, maybe some passionate or lustful moments, but like to really feel that deep love connection, we're more likely to be, you know, calmer or more regulated in our in our physiological being.
1: So yeah. I love that you're tying in um, all these elements of the nervous system and polyvagal theories. So you're talking about the state of connection and feeling grounded. And then when we leave that state, and we feel more elevated, and we enter that fight or flight state. How that can really impact a sense of disconnect within our our loving relationships.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah, you just reminded me of um. I I love that pulsometer because it it talk it like shows so much that's under the surface. And I just remembered somebody that we used to share and how um you know the one of the one of the parts of the couples was actually really can you talk, I mean, without (laughs) giving away, (laughs) it's just such an interesting thing. I remember that so well. Yeah. So this couple was, you know, the, the, the man, you would have
0: never known that. So when I put the pulse oximeter on like a normal resting rate is between 60 to 80 beats per minute. Some people have like a naturally lower, like mine is like normally like 43. I don't know. I have like a Freakishly slow heart rate, but normally it's like when people put it on, it's usually between I'd say like 50 to 80. So when we put the pulse oximeter on this, the the uh, male in the partnership, and I always say, you know, if it gets a if it gets above 100 beats um, per minute, an alarm will go off because that's just kind of like you know telling us like well we gotta you know kind of readjust here. But when he put his on, it was at like 120. And we hadn't even started the exercise, but you would have never known. like Anna knows he's very, you know, in his very professional life he has to be very composed and, you know, very um, stoic. yes, yeah. yeah, stoic. so he's the more heightened one.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. and you, I, like I was shocked. I was like, whoa, really? because you would have thought the the female in that partnership, she's, you know, more outspoken. Uh, very, you know, outgoing and lively and hers was I don't know like maybe in the 60s but it was just so interesting because then it kind of opened up this dialogue of like wow like he's repressing so much like not just mm-hmm. in this partnership but in mm-hmm. his life like he's mm-hmm. and a lot of it is his profession it was um you know more of like a what uh, you know a kind of like a profession where you have to be composed all the time but it it really showed that like this kind of this other side of how repressed he is emotionally and, and that opened kind of another door into the part, into the therapy. So it can really be a helpful
1: tool to use. That's so cool. And to your point, like sometimes, you know, yes, in our line of work, like we're, we're about reading body language. And then sometimes yeah, we're not able to, but that is cool. you yeah. have this tool. that can help with that. Yeah. Um, how does love translate into our work with our clients? Hmm nice question yeah
0: yeah no I think you know like I, I mean as you guys know right you kind of grow to love your clients in a way or like have this fondness for them and um you know the work that that I I love working with couples because I really think that like by enhancing a partnership it's really like helping an entire family it can even have like grandparents children you know it's like it can really be so impactful because as you guys know, when a family breaks up, it it, it creates a lot of trauma, you know, generational trauma. So I think the love that
1: comes up for me
0: you know, leading with that, you know, authentic love in a way that feels like they know, you know, like I'm not, I never claim to be like this expert, but I'm just there to kind of, you know, be a support person for them. Like I said, be a a safe, a safe haven for, you know, their relationship. And I was one, one quote I read from the Gottman um, training is she said, you know, like as the couples therapist, we are the holder of hope. Because sometimes these clients walk in with no hope, they think, and I'm, you know, you guys can see that too, even with individuals or, you know, teens, whatever that we hold hope for them sometimes that like, maybe they don't see the love or they don't see, you know, how this relationship could ever be salvaged, but I can remind them, you know, of the love or the friendship or the respect that they maybe once had. And maybe, you know, they're got a little off course, but I can hold that hope for them.
2: So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that. I feel like it's such an important topic too. Um, it's such like a, a fragile and precarious one. Like exactly what you said. Like we, f- we find ourselves loving our clients as if we would, you know, a partner or a family member or a friend and what that exchange is like and how do we bring that conversation into the therapeutic space. And then my other thought is like, whenever we're in sessions, it's a shared emotional experience. So like if they're coming with anguish, we're feeling and experiencing their anguish. But if we come into the room with love, how then do they leave that room taking a little bit of your love and then being able to share it amongst themselves. And then again, like with their families or their grandparents or yeah.
2: Right. So, and then, and, and sometimes, you know, you, you, you start off being probably one of the only secure relationships that they have currently, or maybe even in the past. And mm-hmm. our work is to take that security, to harness that love that we give them and we share together and hopefully um, make it strong enough so that it can follow them in secure and healthy relationships outside the therapy room eventually, you know? Um, so um, it's so important to sh- to to show them what healthy love looks like, because a lot of the people that come into our, our rooms don't know what that is.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's so true. Yeah. Like modeling that safe space or that security. That's so important.
2: I, yeah. That's so true. I love and there's so many ups and downs, right. As that we go through in a relationship with our clients, you know, we make mistakes and, you know, we have ruptures and there's the, the repairs and like, you know, that's such a, it's such a big um, modeling of that secure, um, mature, healthy, um, you want to say, kind of uh, relationship and love that they can hopefully take with them and maybe uh, create outside the room. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so when we open ourselves up to love, we also open ourselves up to heartache. Uh, what does a broken heart feel like, and why is this important to explore in romantic relationships and all our relationships? Because when you do love, you you know you are creating vulnerability and space for hurt and pain. Um, so why is uh, that important, and how is it you know wh- what does it feel like to feel feel brokenness in love? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is, you know, brokenness and it can just feel like that desperate, hopeless, you know, horrific place. I know I've certainly been I know I'm sure we've all been there, you know, and when I when I see couples that come in, you know, with one, either one or both of them having that brokenness um it's really an opportunity i think to create a new relationship you know because in a lot of ways maybe you know the relationship was like and and i always like to kind of focus on the foundation of the relationship we do a pretty extensive um sorry my dogs we're just going at it um we do an extensive oral history of the relationship of how they met what they first loved about each other Um, And I kind of, it's like the first three sessions are this assessment period, because I always tell them it's like going to a doctor, you know, you want to know what we're, we we need to know what we're treating here so we can, you know, move forward. But when there is significant heartbreak, you know, whether it's through an affair, um, an addiction, it can be through, you know, just feeling completely unheard and unsupported, I think in in a lot of ways that's such a great opportunity to really start implementing healthier ways of communication really like get down to basics of like what are our individual needs in the relationship how can those both be met and how can we work together you know to heal that brokenness because that that like feeling alone in a relationship is one of the loneliest feelings you know it's kind of like when you feel alone in in a big room, you know. It's like that, and in, that inability to connect with your partner, even though you're in this committed relationship, is such a a hopeless feeling. But we can work with that, you know. And in, in the Gottman training, there was one couple who had 47 affairs, and imagine the brokenness of the, you know, the affair, the the partner who had been cheated on, but they were still able to reconnect and rebuild and really, you know, build a relationship that was even healthier and stronger than what it was during that, you know, periods of extensive affairs. So I think we can really work with brokenness and that feeling is, you know, there's hope there. So.
1: Right, and, and, and it's no different in, in other, you know, clients that we see, right? Like our a lot of our clients come in with lots of hopeless feelings and brokenness. Um, I work with teens primarily and, um, you know, a lot of my teens have had very adverse um, family situations. And one in particular, um, she talks about experiencing a broken heart for the first time when she was very young, um, I think about eight years old when her dad left for the first time. And she said, it was the first time I experienced, um, you know, having my heart broken or heartache. And it was so poignant and it was so mature. I mean, she's 17 years old and she's able to talk about the pain of that, you know, part of a natural, maturation and developmental norm is more for like a teenager to develop um heartache you know within their first loving relationship so it's very eye opening um for me to hear her say that
0: yeah yeah that's so powerful and 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 too you know within my um my individual work I do with individuals a lot of times they're going through a difficult relationship and and one thing that I love the Gottman um training talks about is being um as individual therapists being sensitive of relationships because a lot of times you know we kind of go to therapists and they're like well just just leave them or you know like maybe not that simplistically but like you know really as individual as, as individual therapists, being mindful of the importance of the relationship. And yes, there may be brokenness in that relationship and pain and heartache, you know, just like, you know, and, and trying to repair that in a, in a sensitive way. And I love that, you know, even like heartache can happen, doesn't have to be with our romantic partners. It can happen just like you were saying, Jackie, with a, a parent or, you know, a friend or, and all these ways that we can still feel that, that brokenness.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, why do we need to love more? And what's happening right now in our world um, on a more macro level? You know, there's um, this big social justice movement. There was a heated election this year. Um, we're having some growth within the LGBTQ community. So what, what can we do, you know, on a bigger, um, more macro level? It's part of um, our advocacy work as social workers right like silence isn't an option so what can we be doing outside of just our micro level work that we um we, we as clinicians do day to day
0: yeah i mean for summary the first thing that comes to mind is that mother teresa quote that's like if you want to change the world go home and love your family or something like that yeah. like <laughs> and i think so much of you know like there's this not such a priority of family systems in the world today right like there's you know and and that's from a lot of reasons but there's a lot of anger there's a lot of you know chaos in the world right now and for a lot of people home doesn't feel safe you know just through the pandemic through quarantine domestic violence rates were increased child abuse rates were increased you know there's no numbers on divorce yet but i'm sure divorce or relationship breakdowns really Increase during this time, and babies being born, yeah, babies, (laughs) so (laughs) so, yes, beautiful things too. But, um, you know, I just the the heightened stress, I mean, you guys feel it, um, every day as clinicians, like we see it, you know, that people maybe who never dealt with or you know struggled with anxiety, they're feeling it more, um, now, so. I think that, you know, if we can keep families together in a healthy way, obviously that's not always an option when, you know, and and we do, you know, through the assessment, we do a very intense uh, domestic violence and substance abuse assessment because that is, you know, that I can maybe talk a little bit more about domestic violence. Um, But that is something that if we can make you know, the family, the partnership, and that can kind of, you know, I don't want to say the trickle down effect, but like, you know, kind of create other safe relationships within the family. I think that can have somewhat of a ripple effect, you know, throughout society that, you know, really prioritizing marriage and and not even marriage, but just like healthy partnerships, you know, healthy unions, healthy family systems.
1: Absolutely, and then again, like the ripple effect, right? So, like if we teach it at home, and we can show up at home in that way. Um, you know what is that? The quote that was just coming to mind, like if Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's <laughs> like, right. Like, girl, I try and think about that, like yeah, things like you know when I get home from work if it was a long day, like I try and like leave it in the car and I, like walk in for my family. You know. Yeah, totally. Because they deserve that, you know.
0: Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah,
1: but the, so you know, and social
0: justice, I mean, there's just so many, so much going on in the world right now that, you know, we can get lost in that, I think, in a way and kind of lose focus of what truly is important with our families, with, you know, our friends, with really connecting with our, our love and our support, you know, systems. And I think having that sense of security and support helps, you know, I, we all know that that helps people, so.
1: Yeah, and maybe it's you know talking with our families and talking about um these topics with our children, you know, maybe that's where it starts, you know. Um I know yeah. like I grew up in a household, we didn't talk about race, like that wasn't a conversation. So yeah. how can we now as adults, um, for those of us that have children, maybe make that a more normative and comfortable topic? Um
0: totally. Yeah. 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 yeah and just through couples therapy, like it's learning these these skills to communicate openly without fear yeah. of judgment or that fear of rejection. Right. So, you know, it's hard to have those, those conversations about race or gender or any of those, if you feel like you're going to be judged or attacked or, you know, um, be, you know, not accepted in your right. loving relationship partner. So that's so true to make kind of create that space for those yep. conversations is important.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So now can we kind of uh, w- w- want to uh, talk a little bit about just the, the couples therapy process um so you can kind of maybe give our listeners an idea I know you already touched on some of these things but um you know I I'm, it's a nerve-wracking thing that, that a couple decides for whatever reason you know some people many I mean people in general go into therapy for various reasons but for couples specifically you know I'm sure you know they've um it's, it's not easy going to that place and being totally vulnerable with their relationship and having, you know, two people in there or however many people, I don't know. Um, so maybe you can talk about what, um, are, is couples therapy like and what one can expect? How do you start? How do you begin? What does a process look like? I know it's messy and it's not, you know, just this like, um, very simple, um, you know, linear process mm-hmm. as therapy isn't usually, but maybe just give our listeners an idea.
0: Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I, I think it's totally normal, like you were saying, Anna, for couples to feel anxious or apprehensive. Or some couples look at it as like, "Oh God, this means like our relationship must be over if we're, you know, if we're in couples therapy." But, you know, I really think it's such a beautiful way to um, be, you know, committed to each other. And I have found that, you know, the the par- there's usually one partner who's kind of pushing for the couples I'm therapy. So Who's kind of like uh, a little more resistant. And I find that by the end of the first session, you know, most of the time, the one who was resistant usually says something like, oh, like that wasn't so bad or kind of nice or, you know, like I don't, you know, because it's different. As you guys know, people who even can come in for individual therapy, it can feel overwhelming. So, you know, I really try to make it not a scary first session. We do, like I was saying, kind of the oral history, just talking about you know, what they like, you know, what their relationship was like, what they first loved about each other, um, what they, you know, still love about each other. And then, you know, we do talk a little bit about what they want to work on. And then we do like I was kind of sharing the exercise with um, the, the fighting in front of me for 10 minutes, which is kind of, I think is fun, because I get to pretend like I'm a fly on a wall. And I know, you know, most couples do tone it down a little bit for me. But sometimes they don't, and they really forget I'm there, and that I hear you through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can probably hear it. Um, but I just had one couple who they fought so beautifully; they did not raise a voice. They, wow. they were, and I was like, "Is that really how you guys fight at home?" And they're like, "Yeah, it really is." So. I've kind of seen, you know, the spectrum of that, but, um, I think it's fun for them too. And that, that, you know, they have the, the pulse oximeter on to kind of start to see, you know, how they show up in the relationship. And I do give them a little background of the Gottman model, um, which I can, you know, it's, it's based on 40 years of clinical research. Um, it's a duo, um, they're a married couple. The husband is kind of more of the clinical researcher, the wife is a the therapist so they they kind of marry this you know the science and the therapy and it's really beautiful and they've studied thousands of couples and kind of you know they they build the relationship house is kind of what they they start Mm we start at like the the base the foundation and then we build you know these walls and the roof and that's kind of like Mm -hmm. the model and i always remind couples of the four deadly horsemen of relationships which I say this a lot throughout the sessions because it's easy to forget, but they are, and these are the largest indicators of relationship breakdown or unhappiness. So, and they got these four horsemen after, you know, studying thousands of couples and they kind of um, filmed couples in this one. It's like a love apartment in Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. And so they noticed that when couples spoke to each other with criticism, contempt, defensiveness or stonewalling Mm -hmm. those either one or all of those usually indicated relational unhappiness or a potential breakdown. And this model, they could predict divorce if a couple was going to divorce or not with like, I think like eight, maybe 90% certainty based on observing couples in kind of their natural element. So I don't do any, you know, divorce predicting because i believe in, you know, salvaging relationships. And they do too. They say even yeah. if even if on the first assessment, you know, internally they're predicting divorce with, you know, doing the Gottman therapy um model that the really the, these marriages can st- or relationships can still survive and really thrive. They don't have to end in divorce. Um and yeah. then we, oh go ahead sorry.
1: Oh it's okay you um you answered a lot of our, our um Next question. But mainly what I wanted to say was that, you know, as clinicians, it's really important for us to be guided by theory and um, models of treatment, right? Like we wouldn't go into like a doctor's office for an oncology issue and have that person not be informed and educated and have lots of training in this, you know, specific um, need. And so I love that you um, have this training and really have a lot of backing, right? Like there's statistics, there's science, there's um, clinical experience, there's research. that's so important to inform our work. And also, you know, when we go to educate our clients about, like, who I am as a clinician and what I do, it can really create a strong platform, right? So for clinicians who are curious about the Gottman model, it's great that you can share all this, um, like, 101s of uh, this approach. Um, what I'm curious about is What's your favorite part about the Gottman model? Um, you share a lot of good um, tenets of it. What do you love the most about it?
0: Uh, I love just that. I think I like I kind of touched on, but I love that it gives couples hope. I love that, like I, you know, I mean, as therapists, I think we're kind of naturally attuned to body language or you know reading our clients. But I think it really gives, me, like, as a clinician, I have like this this like backing to go on, kind of like you were saying. But like I can say, like, look, you guys are, you know, a lot of a lot of the body language is turning away from each other or turning towards each other. And that can be as simple as like you're driving in a car and one partner says, look, you know, there's a beautiful church. And the one partner that's driving just totally ignores them. But so that's turning away, but turning towards each other would be like if, you know, they say, oh, look, there's a beautiful church. And the person driving goes, oh yeah, that's really beautiful. As something as simple as that can predict, oh Jackie's like, uh oh, <laughs> and but no, I something as simple as that can indicate to me like, you know, are they turning away? Are they turning towards? Kind of having these tools that you know I don't project on the couples, but it's kind of like you know then I can remind them, look, you guys are wow, you're holding hands, or wow, you're you're turned towards each other today, or you know, wow, you just made eye contact. I had one couple that didn't make eye contact for the first probably six weeks. Uh And the moment that the one couple who was eye contact adverse made eye contact, it was a, it was a big moment. It was a big moment for all of us. So, you know, just like in those little ways that I can just remind them, like, look, you know, like, it's not like, I'm not doing all the work, like they're doing the work and I'm just kind of there like mirroring it to them.
1: Yeah, the vehicle. I was um when we were talking about that, I was just about, like if we can look at life through like someone else's eyes, like with like wonderment and curiosity, like my um my husband tends to like see like the the little like finer things in life, he'll be like, Oh, did you like hear that or oh did you see that? I'm like, No, I'm moving like 17 miles a minute faster. Yeah, like, totally. But if we can, you know, just pause and and um step into someone, someone else's experience. I think that's the beautiful part of partnership is, is having someone that's different and adds, you know, yeah, totally. like that. Maybe we need and don't realize that we do.
2: And yes. And you're so right. Viewing like the world completely. You just reminded me, I feel like you just reminded me of the way my husband and I listen to music. It's so different. You know, I listen to music and I'm crying. Oh, the words! did you hear? The words are so beautiful. They're just this song is just the most, he's like, what, what word? He's, but he's like, it is a beautiful song. But I'm listening to the melody, like the actual, you know, the sound of the music. I'm like, what melody? What are you talking about? He's like, the guitar is just gorgeous in that. I'm like, oh, (laughs) like totally different perceptions of like what you know, how I I I takes things things in, and how he takes things in, and how can we learn from each other? You know, his stuff.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah, and a big thing in the Gottman method is we talk about creating these rituals of connection. And so, you know, like that could be a ritual for you guys, listening to music, kind of like sharing your different perspectives and still being able to connect. Because I think a big misconception couples come in is we're so different. We have nothing in common, but there's you know, the Gottman, the, the research shows that we really don't have to be that similar with our partners. We can have, like my husband and I have totally different hobbies, but we, so we have to kind of find things that we both like to do together, which we found, you know, like he's in like dirt bikes and motorcycles. And I'm like, I like to go to the beach. And, but we found, you know, we like camping together or we like doing, you know, we've had to find things we both like doing. And that means that, you know, it kind of gives us both an opportunity or couples an opportunity to try new things together, to create those rituals of connection. Yeah,
1: you know, something. I mean, I'm not trained in any couples counseling, but um, you know, when I'm talking with um, teens about their relationships or even about their, their parents' relationships, because obviously they're observing, you know, whether it's healthy partnership and what's being modeled to them, or if it's maybe not the healthiest partnership, but what I, I do try and say to my clients is like, you are a person and your client is a person and then there's the relationship. And so like, you need to nurture yourself as a person. They need to nurture themselves as a person. And then everyone needs to come together and take care of like the little baby, which is the relationship. And if we lose sight of any, any part of that, um, triangle, then stuff, then stuff can start to get imbalanced, you know? Um, I love that. Yeah. 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 What do
2: you feel like is the most challenging part of doing couples work?
0: Um, you know when someone wants to get up and leave, no. And I, uh, I'm
2: like, yeah.
0: Because <laughs> um, I get it. It's a. It can be ugly in there. I was gonna say
1: I'm like been there, <laughs> wanted to do that. Yeah.
0: And you know I always tell them, look, we're like we're cleaning out the infection here. This is some <laughs> ugly pus that's coming out because we have to get it all out. You know, and we do that with our individuals too. We got it. We have to get it out and like this one couple I was with, he's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about the past. I just want to stay in the present. I just want to talk about where we're going. And I'm like, that's great. And I want to focus on that too. But we kind of have to look back on how you guys got to where you are today to be able to, you know, move forward in a healthy way. And I don't like, you know, we're not going to like harp on everything in the past that's ever happened, but I do, we do need to have some context. So you know, I think those like the resistance, but we can, I can work with that. I can work with people trying to get off the couch and, you know, all this stuff. But, um, I think, you know, when one partner's not as invested that, you know, which is typically the case, but I found that they, they can kind of, you know, with enough time, they can kind of catch up. So, yeah, I don't know. I think
1: so. that was the most challenging. And then what's the most gratifying
0: the most gratifying is just in those little moments of like, you know, the eye contact, or they haven't, they've been sitting, you know, and it's not a big couch that is in is in my office, but at first they're sitting at opposite sides yeah. and kind of slowly starting moving <laughs> towards each other, or you know, just that they that like they tell me just on a personal level that it's that it's helpful for them or it's helping their family, you know, just yeah. like in those little ways that like this is making an impact, not just in their partnership, but with their children, you know, but I think just like in those little, those little moments are really can be really beautiful, not just for me, but I know that, you know, they can kind of appreciate that also.
2: Do you ever sense, I know you talked a lot about hope, so maybe, but do you ever sense when some couples are not going to make it?
0: Um, Well, you know, part of the assessment I do, so we do the first session together, then I do um, one session, an an individual session with each partner. Um, And the reasoning behind that is really to assess for if there's any domestic violence going on, um, if there's any substance abuse going on. And even with domestic violence, so there's kind of a difference, Um, like in 50% of couples, there is some form of domestic violence, whether it's pushing, hitting, shoving. And um, most of the time, if it's not an extreme level of domestic violence, it is initiated by the female in a lot of instances, not always, but that we can work with. That is something that's not, um, you know, at a crazy abusive level, no one's, you know, being threatened. The safety is, is still okay. Maybe there's just been a few instances of pushing or punching holes in the walls. Again, those are not great things, but I can work with that. What I cannot work with is if it's character, characterological domestic violence, meaning it's repetitive, it's, you know, very dangerous. It's, um, at a level where safety is a concern. I'm, you know, not equipped to work with that. No Gottman therapist would be, and at that point I would have to refer elsewhere. Um, And then with the substance abuse too, that's something that if there is a uh, serious substance abuse issue going on, that has to be addressed before we can carry on. But this this method actually works very well with substance abuse um, recovery. Um, and I'm, you know, myself in in recovery, I work with addiction, I work with, you know, kind of the opposite side of the, the codependency. So that's something that can totally be worked out as long as there's a resolution in terms of, you know, getting into recovery. Um, so really, if I sense that a couple, you know, is there's not a lot of hope. I would still give it six to eight sessions at least, you know, and, and another part of the assessment is the couples do an online assessment and it's a very extensive online questionnaire. Um, But it gives me as a clinician, a lot of insight into things like sometimes, you know, I do get a lot of information in the individual sessions, but sometimes there's things that will come out also on the online assessment. Um, with regards to domestic violence or substance abuse or other, you know, sexual abuse, sexual trauma, infidelity. Um, So all of those things, you know, are given an opportunity to air out. And, you know, we're kind of always touching base with those things. So I haven't met a couple that I felt was completely hopeless. Um, I mean, there's been moments where maybe I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we doing here? But I really do think that if a couple is committed to coming to a session that there's there's some hope there
2: already. Absolutely. Absolutely, thank you. That was beautifully said.
1: Um, How do our early attachment wounds show up in our romantic relationships, right? So we all enter this world into a certain family system and we can have different ruptures that happen early on and that can inform our attachment style, whether it's anxious, whether it's avoidant, whether it's disorganized, whether it's secure. So then we go on to enter a romantic relationship and we bring that attachment style to that romantic relationship. How what do you see if someone is anxiously attached or if someone is securely attached to their partner? Um and how does that inform your work?
0: Yeah, I definitely see that a lot. You know, I mean, I think most of us have some even if we grew up in, you know, perfect family systems or Perfect. You know, have some attachment issues or some codependent tendencies. And I do see that come up a lot in therapy is where um, in the couple's work is maybe someone is more the caretaker, the fixer, the enabler. And um, those are all things that we, you know, kind of in the um, oral history and in the individual session, I do get more of a history of their family system, you know, their previous significant relationships how those manifested how you know um maybe the codependency has emerged or you know the uh complete avoidance or overly independent or overly responsible there's a lot of ways this can manifest if they were not securely attached either as a child or you know kind of had I'd see a lot like the the lower self esteem issues manifesting into you know reaching out for Validation external validation from the opposite, you know, from you know, a a romantic partner. Um, and that can cause somewhat of a toxic dynamic, but all those things can be worked on with kind of treating you know the original attack, like healing the original attachment issue, Mm -hmm. um, and really focusing on you know that
2: recovering that.
1: Great, yeah.
2: So what do you want to share with our listeners that will, would help them find or enhance love in their lives?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think, you know, it's it's in these little ways of how we communicate to each other every day. It's being mindful, like, you know, remind, like writing down, I have some couples write down on their fridge, like the four horsemen critical, being contemptuous, being defensive, stonewalling, because... It doesn't have to be as as extreme as I'm not going to talk to you for three days, but it can be in a, in an eye roll. I have one couple who the wife is an eye roller. She is the eye roller of eye roll, and I you know I call her out on it. I remind her, okay, we have. To, I gently say, okay, what what's going on here, you know? Or if they're constantly saying, you never help me with the kids. You're always with your friends. You you know that is like the the con- the. Con- critical um, voice. so it's like I'm gently reminding them in session as they're talking to each other, what's going on here? you know are, am I sensing some defensiveness? am I feeling you're shutting down right now? I have couples who will just shut down mid-session and I'm like, okay, what's going on here let's let's you know do some kind of self-soothing let's let's reassess here. So like I'm kind of slowly teaching them, and reminding them, and kind of at times, you know, I uh, am repetitive with like stop eye rolling. But um,
1: it, I love it, that part. therapy you know, just being like, this is what's happening in the moment, and this is absolutely what's happening outside of ourselves. Oh, totally. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he's like, oh yeah, she's been eye rolling for fifteen years. I'm He's like, I'm used to it, but I'm like, you know, so. That's where like teaching them those little of how we talk to each other and then doing simple things, which can, you know, we can overcomplicate it, but this ritual of connection really prioritizing their relationship. And I know people say, oh, well, let's quarantine and we can't do stuff. Yes, you can. You can have a picnic. You know, I know one couple had these date night boxes that they had ordered Yeah. and they had sat in the room you know in the laundry room for five months piling up and i was like okay it's time to take out the date night boxes and another great free tool is an app called the gottman card decks and i always suggest my couples get this and they just have really any couple can get it you don't have to be in couples therapy you don't have to be going to a gottman therapist um but it's a really fun app where it kind of asks these open-ended questions And some of them are a little sexy and some of them are, you know, just about what's your favorite hobby, whatever it can, it's kind of like there's different categories, but I think that's a really, just to get, cause a big part of the therapy is these love maps of knowing each other, you know, knowing each other's what you need, what do you love? Like knowing each other intimately. And so we get to know each other by asking open-ended questions and really Creating a safe space where, where couples can start to feel more free with expressing themselves
1: and what they need. Absolutely. Sarah, we can't thank you enough for joining us. This is such a special podcast to prepare for this month.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, I'm so thank grateful. Thank you.
1: Next time on Two Therapist Tales, please join us as we learn about the powerful effects of somatic experiencing. We will be welcoming Amy Geyer, licensed professional counselor, onto the podcast to talk about trauma. So our closing quote is from Piglet and Winnie the Pooh. Piglet asks, how do you spell love? And Winnie the Pooh says, you don't spell it, you feel it. The end. Okay, cool.
2: Thank you, guys.
0: This podcast should not be used as a substitute for therapy or mental health treatment. Please reach out to a licensed professional or facility if you are struggling and need to talk to someone.